You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, "'Who was it that touched me?' When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened." Well, imagine if just this last week, let's say a married man had come into my office and shared some sin in the life of his wife, shared it very personally with me at a meeting, and uh, we talk about it, I only hear his side of the story, of course, but we talk about it and pray together and then he's on his way. And then that week, I am prepping a sermon and I need an example of sin And I go, ooh, I've got one. And so on Sunday morning, I stand up and I go, like what Bill told to me this week about his wife. I have to think of, make sure we don't have a wife with this name. Rapunzel. (laughs) I should have planned that better. I'm sorry, I was nervous. He told me, like, like, there they are sitting in the back. Yeah, speaking of Satan's work on earth, Rapunzel. And I point to her. Now, what would be happening right there in that moment? In that moment, he, he would, there'd be steam coming out of his ears, probably hers as well, going, what just happened? And, and the reason is, is because he thought when we talked, he assumed properly that it was in confidence, or at a minimum, I would use great, great discretion in sharing something like that. In other words, he understood the nature of our relationship and the nature of our interaction was one of confidentiality. 
was one of mutual respect, that I was going to respect that he came to me and those kinds of things. And, and when you have, if, if you have an understanding of the nature of a dynamic, a nature of a relationship, that impacts how you see it, how you see each other, how you act towards one another, how you talk about that person, how you talk about the relationship. It's getting back to what is that nature of the relationship. In fact, if you look around today in our culture, really what's happening is um, it's not just good and bad is being redefined, but the very nature of relationships is getting redefined. Kids see their parents differently than they did in my generation. Parents see their kids differently than they did in my generation. What's the nature of the relationship between a student and a teacher or a teacher and a student? What's the relationship between law enforcement in our society and then our society and people in law enforcement? How are they viewed, the nature of that relationship? What about just the nature of our relationship to society? Well, can I be, can I be selfish? Can I stand up for myself? Can I, just, can I have my own stuff, my own things, and culture should change around me? That's the nature of the relationship. Or am I supposed to be a servant to others in society? That's we serve the larger good kind of thing. Like what's, what's the nature of our own relationship to society? I mean, you see how it changes everything? And, and so oftentimes we talk about this is how we should relate to God. These are the things that we should do. And I realize that very frequently we need to come back and say, what is the nature of your relationship before God? What does that look like? How do you see him and how does he see you? Now, there's no way in the next 30 minutes or so we're going to get an exhaustive teaching on this, but I do want to look at that today because that's what the text is talking about. I can't, I can't unsee this now, and I want you to not be able to unsee this. Not be able to unsee this. Yeah, that's right. I don't want you to be able to unsee this either. To see from four stories, there's two that, that preceded this. That if you were here last week, they were taught on last week, and then the two from this week that you heard Marcy read just a moment ago. <clears throat> so before this, um, you had um, in Luke's gospel, these four stories are going to show us what is the nature of our relationship with God? How should we see him and how does he see us? The four stories. You have first, you have the disciples out on the water with Jesus and the wind and the waves going crazy. And they start panicking because they could lose <clears throat> their catch. They could lose their boat. They could lose their friends. They could lose their very lives. And so Jesus stands up and says, that's enough, and rebukes the wind and the waves, and they stop. And the disciples go, wow, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? That's story number one. Story number two, the demon-possessed man, the demoniac. It says he lived among the tombs. They would shackle him there, and he would frequently break out. He is demon-possessed. It also had a little tidbit that he wore no clothes, and so picture this man, how much of an outcast he actually was, that he is naked and crazy, shackled out, living in the graveyard. Nobody wants this guy. Everybody wants to get rid of him. And Jesus comes and heals him. He's over on that Gentile side of the lake. And if you remember, Jesus comes up to him and the demon inside him says, I beg you not to torment me. And then one of the herdsmen that saw all this happen because Jesus 
cast out the demons, sent them into the pigs, if you remember the story. And, uh, and then this man's life was completely, utterly changed. He put clothes on, and then he went and he sat at the feet of Jesus in this act of worship. Like when, you, when you're down and somebody's up, there's something that you are looking up to them. Like if you're just sitting there on the ground, that's what happened with this demoniac. So those are the two where he get, he's in his right mind clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and there's two more coming up. In verse 40, it says, now when Jesus returned, so this is the flow in the story, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there was a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. My favorite title in Greek is uh, his title. It's Arche Synagogo. It's very fun to say. Arche Synagogo. Arche is like the first, and then synagogo is where you get um, synagogue. And so he is the first of the synagogue, or today we'd probably say he's kind of the president of the synagogue. He, he's, he's over it. And he was really responsible for the physical arrangements of the worship service when they would come in there to worship God. And so um, who's going to read the scripture and which scripture and who's going to lead the prayer time and making sure the room is set for worship. And so just get the irony of going from this crazy demon-possessed man living out in the graveyard to now the, the president, if you will, of the synagogue. That's the next person that shows up in the story. They couldn't be more different. He's committed to his faith. He's esteemed. He's the exact opposite, Gentile Jew. Crazy naked man running around in the graveyard, well put together, leader in the Jewish community. Those are the two people. And then here's what he does. It says, and falling at Jesus's feet, falling at Jesus's feet, he implored him to come to his house. These are words of desperation. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. This is desperation. This is, I don't care who sees me. I, I don't care what people think of me. I'm desperate here to heal my little girl. And so keep this in mind because the story is gonna happen, starting out with Jairus saying, Jesus, please come help my daughter. And now they're gonna go help the daughter. And there's an interruption you'll see in just a minute. It says, as Jesus went, People pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Mark's gospel says um, she had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had but was no better and in fact grew worse. Now this woman, because of the sickness that she has, would have been considered ceremonially unclean. She would have been cut off from relationships, from religious gathering in the synagogue, in the temple for the last 12 years. She is someone that, if, frankly, if she had not lived, if she had just died, probably no one would have cared. And so as they're going to heal this little girl, it says she came up behind him, that's Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So picture what she's doing. She sees Jesus. She's seen doctors. She spent all sorts of money. And then she sees Jesus and, I, and she's just going up and just reaching out and just touching the bottom of his garment from the back, by the way. I'm, I'm not even worthy to look at you. I just need to get a hand on you and maybe, just maybe, my sickness will be cured. And immediately she was cured. Amen. In verse 45, Jesus said, who is that 
Who, who was it that touched me? She thought she'd gotten away with it. And he goes, wait a minute, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Meaning anybody could have, anybody could have bumped into you. And he says, but Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Not my power has been depleted, but it's, it's almost like a pickpocket of power, if you will, that she kind of snuck up and said, yes, and God, it. it didn't deplete Jesus's reserves, but he's saying somebody intentionally came and reached out and touched me. And of course, everybody's denying it. And the woman's not even coming forward yet because she's, she's going, uh, I'd, I'd rather not be noticed. Now, this would be me. Like I picture if I'm sitting there and like in the kitchen with my kids and there's all of a sudden, you know, there's a glass on the ground that's shattered, I would be going, you three get in here. Which one of you did this? Me and mom were downstairs. I know it wasn't us. The doors are literally locked. There's nobody else in the house and there's a shattered glass. Which one of you did this? Just sitting like that. Why am I asking? I'm asking going, justice, who did this? I need to know. I need to get an answer to this and someone needs to pay for it. You're going to have to clean it up. We're going to have a good lesson that we're going to have here. So when I read this and Jesus is going, someone touched me, and they're going, Jesus, everybody's pressing in on you. And Jesus goes, no, I want to know who it is. That's my first instinct is to go, Jesus is wanting to go, how dare she? Who, who did this? Who did this? Step forward and you, you show yourself, you who came and just took from me. But it's not about justice. It's about grace. What had to happen in that day was this woman would be ceremonially unclean and she would have to, if she was clean, she would have to go to the priest, he would declare her clean, and then he would have to publicly declare that she was clean. And so if you watch what Jesus did, what he does is he is going to take the role of the priest and publicly declare her clean. In other words, because of her faith, she is going to be made well instantly and restored into the community. That's why he wants to know who it is. Look at this. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, meaning she was busted, Jesus knew exactly who it was, she came, listen to this, trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Are you getting the imagery here? And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's interesting that he calls her daughter. This is the only time I can find in the scriptures where Jesus addresses somebody as daughter and uses this specific term. And I think there's a couple reasons for it. One is it's like he's saying, because of your faith, you're a part of the family now. We have the, our heavenly father and you are a daughter. But there's another one that I find interesting here. This is the only place he chooses to do it. Remember how this whole thing got started to begin with? Be Jairus for just a moment. Be the dad that desperately went and fell down before Jesus and said, can you please heal my daughter? And then as you're walking along, I mean, I'd be walking, and if you heard it read, I mean, she did die. Jesus had to raise her back. But Jesus is walking, and I imagine if that's me, I'm going, let's step it up a little bit, Jesus. 
watching my watch. And then when everybody presses in and then Jesus stops and goes, and goes, who was that that touched me? And all the disciples are going, don't worry about it. If I'm Jairus, I'm going, yeah, don't worry about that, Jesus. Somebody touched you. Uh, it was me. No one's fessing up. I'll just say it was me just so we can get on with this. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops and he heals this woman and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And if I'm Jairus, I'm catching the irony and going, speaking of daughters, Jesus, why don't we get a move on? But listen, look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus has shown his power over the wind and waves. He's shown his power over the demons and the demoniac. He's shown his power over sickness. And then the question is, why did he stop and help this other woman? And I think the, one of the big reasons for it is that he's now going to show his power over death. I mean, can you imagine the emotions of this? Yes, we're going to go heal my daughter. And then, um, wait, we stopped. And now someone's coming out and saying, never mind, don't bother him anymore. She's already passed. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. And it says, but Jesus, on hearing this, answered them, do not fear, only believe, and she will be made well. Verse 51, when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And then it says, all were weeping and mourning for her. Now, I have seen, um, I, I couldn't remember which movie it was, but I've seen like tons of movies where they reenact the, the life of Jesus. I, did, I think this is from like college. I was a real wild kid in college, as you can tell. You guys go party. I'm going to watch Bible movies. And I would watch these things. I think that's where I saw this. And I remember, I have this vague remembering of, a memory of this scene being acted out where Jesus is there with them in the room and people are just mourning and just weeping and probably filled with questions of Jesus. If you, haven't, if you hadn't stopped and helped that other woman, you'd have been here, my little girl would be alive. You could have just healed her and instead you healed this other woman's sickness and not this young woman's sickness. And in the movie, there's, um, I have this distinct memory of, of uh, Jesus looking, kind of surveying the scene and looking at the little girl and looking at everybody weeping and mourning. And you just see just the perfect amount of his lips curl up because he knows that he's about to bring them incredible joy. And even in the story, in this movie anyway, he reaches out and he puts his hand of comfort, a hand of tenderness on the shoulder of the people who are weeping. And it says, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Amen. Now, she was dead, but what he's saying is, to me, it's like she's just sleeping. I have power and victory over death, and so I can help her still. Do not fear is what Jesus is saying. And it says, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. This is probably that kind of hysterical laughter when they're just emotional, emotional, and then Jesus goes, no, no, I can still help her. And they just start laughing, going, are you kidding me? She's, she's dead. Like, why, why are you doing this to us? And then it says, but taking her by the hand, he called out saying, child, arise. Did it work? It did. And Dr. Luke, who wrote this, shows us evidence. It says, and her spirit turned and she got up at once. 
And then it says, he directed that something should be given her to eat. She's really alive. She was dead and everybody was mourning. Jesus walks in and says, get up. And she gets up and she looks hungry. She should get a little bite to eat. And they go and they feed her. He can't be clearer to say she was dead and now she is alive. And her parents were amazed. And then it says, but Jesus charged them to tell no one what had happened. So what do we see from these four stories back to back to back that tells us about the nature of our relationship with God? I spent, um, I was young, I think, I think we moved when I was in maybe first grade or kindergarten, but I spent a little bit of time, like preschool, three years, something like that, down in Houston, Texas. And in, um, in Houston, I remember moving there, I don't have a whole lot of memories, uh, I was very young, but I do remember one of the first things we did is we got to our house, and um, I, I'm sure I was a big help to my dad, but uh, he and I together measured our windows and went and bought plywood the exact size of the windows. Now, if you've been in any place before where there's hurricanes, you know why, which is hurricanes come, and you've got to have the plywood or the board, whatever it is, and you go and you put them up against the windows. In other words, when nature is coming, all you can do is sort of batten down the hatches, so to speak, and just sort of just pray, and you can just sort of sit and wait, and nature is going to do to you what nature is going to do to you unless God intervenes. What did Jesus do? He's out on the sea and the wind and the waves are causing chaos and he just says, that's enough. And he rebukes them. And the wind and the waves recognize the voice of the one who created them and they obey. That's who God is and you heard who we are. Or think about the next story with the, with the demoniac. People, these demons from the demonic realm, beg Jesus not to harm them. I have no power in and of myself against anything supernatural except Christ in me or praying that Christ would do a work against those evil forces. That's it. I got, I got nothing except for him. You got power over nature, power, power over what's natural, power over what's supernatural. And then the third thing, we just saw this woman that was sick, the power over disease. That's who Christ is. Listen, doctors are great. Doctors, nurses, everybody in that field, they, they, they know a lot. But like for me, one of the things COVID has done is I look and go, the collective worldwide effort of medicine still had us locked up for a couple of years. We just have to go, oh Lord, I hope people figure something out. I hope it runs its course. I hope, I hope, I hope, and I pray, I pray, I pray. Jesus healed sickness almost accidentally. He's just walking and a woman comes up and touches him and he went, wait a minute, somebody touched me. That's his power. And then finally, the thing that you and I can never ever conquer, death itself, Jesus Christ did. What's the nature of our relationship with God? We need to hear this in 2022 in America. The wind and the waves bow down in awe before him and are silenced at his voice. That's who Jesus is. The demons themselves recognize the majesty of Jesus Christ. Jairus, I mean, think about this. This, this big-time Jewish leader goes in and sees Jesus and just falls down before him in this worship and this awe and this reverence, just imploring him and begging him, can you do the thing that I am incapable of doing, Jesus? 
the woman that just reaches out and touches Jesus to heal her. And then it says she was trembling. Then she's hiding. Then she's pulling back in awe and reverence and the greatest of respect for God and what he has done. That's what we're supposed to have towards him. Awe, respect, wonder, and worship. And then what did Jesus do in each and every situation? What does he do in response? He reaches out with tenderness. He reaches out with his grace. He responds to our worship with his grace and his mercy. The disciples on the boat panicked, and he stands up and says, I got this, guys. The demoniac that no one else cared about, Jesus went to him and healed him. The woman that if she had died, no one would have cared. You went to her, and this little girl that had died, and everybody was mourning, and you just did that, and they'd have moved on. Jesus, oh, watch this. I am divine, and I have the power over death itself. He responds with graciousness and awe. Now, we can go to, excuse me, graciousness and mercy. We we can go to kind of two extremes on this. One is, um, and there's some people that have grown up in maybe church and you have a bad experience where all you've heard about is is the, the, the majesty and the otherness and the supremacy of God. And so in that, you almost just feel like God is just looking at you like you're such a huge disappointment and I don't even care about you. And it's just become this cold thing that can create this wound inside you. And for you today, I think it's important to remember the tenderness of God. As he, as he didn't just let this woman be healed, but then he stands up and he gives her even more than she asked for. He publicly um, declares her to be clean. Like the grace and the mercy that he has, the love that he has is just overflowing is what we see in these texts. But probably the biggest sin, <clears throat> excuse me, the bigger sin that we have today is Jesus has become a little too familiar. And we need to be reminded of his awesomeness. We need to be reminded that we can't still the wind and the waves, but he can. We can't solve the problem of sickness, he can. We're not powerful enough over death, but he, in fact, is. So, <clears throat> so this week, it was interesting. As I'm thinking about this, I pray every Sunday, multiple times. I pray every single Sunday. And I thought, I think I, I, think I pray good on Sundays. I think I do it right, you know? And then after I'm studying this, and then I'm prepping and praying for this Sunday, and I'm thinking, what if I actually prayed in a way that I'm going to encourage other people to pray? And what if I am praying with the greatest of humility, knowing that I am addressing the God of the universe? My prayer changed. My prayer changed. I I wasn't scared. I know he's got grace and he's got mercy, even for someone like me. But there was something in praying. I was praying this morning that people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ today. That God would do a work. I've been convicted about, you know, like like my pre-meal prayers. Sometimes pre-meal prayers are the check the box before you have the food. And people get like, don't go too long because it's hot and we don't want to get too cold. And there's a dog. And so we got to kind of watch the dog as we're, you know, as we're praying. And really, like the the prayers before the meals, when we stop to address God, think about the holiness of that moment. It should just overwhelm us. 
I don't ever want to be a person that just goes, I, just, I, I see the Bible and everything. I just worship God in my own way. I see, <clears throat> excuse me, I read my Bible kind of as kind of a, a good advice from God, not really instruction that I must obey, but just kind of really good counsel that might help me in my life. So I, I don't ever want to be a guy that thinks that way. And we probably need to increase our awe of God today. So as we, <clears throat> just a few moments, take communion together, remember the one who went to the cross, has power over the natural world, supernatural realm, sickness, and death itself. And we come to him in awe and wonder, and he responds with tenderness and grace. And the effect of this is our trust in him increases. This is why, like you see people that give their lives for the gospel and you go, why would somebody do that? And it's because they have a proper understanding of who God is and all his majesty. Christianity Today had this article. It says, um, as Russia invades Ukraine, pastors stay to serve, pray, and resist. You've been following the news, I assume. Most of you, I'm sure, have been following it more closely than I have. Um, they, they're abandoning a lot of people. A lot of people are, are fleeing the country, and they're able to. And there's a handful of Christians, but there's, there's some information that gets down into, in our secret you know, pastor or whatever that we have. Uh, we find out that there's a lot of pastors, the majority of them are staying, and they're opening up their churches. Version is a... Um, is a Bible for your phone that um, <clears throat> noted a spike among Ukrainian and Russian users of its Bible app over the past three weeks. Searches for fear increased 11%. Searches for peace increased 44%. Right before Russia invaded, the deputy secretary of the Ukrainian Bible Society said, listen to this, <clears throat> we printed Bibles for 2022 and we are now in the second month of the year and the stock in our warehouse is almost gone. He told the Australian Bible Society News Service, he says, in our churches, whether it's Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, or Evangelical, there are more new people, not only on Sundays or Saturdays, but also during the week. On evenings when we have Bible study, new people are coming. They want to pray, to hear something that brings hope or comfort. You've probably seen pictures. There's several of them. Here's some pictures here of people, um, <clears throat> people worshiping, people out in public just praying. There's Ukraine Evangelical Theological Seminary, and there's a big battle going on in an airport that's right outside the seminary. And in the midst of that, I mean, picture this, bombs raining down, and you're hearing it and feeling the ground shake. The president of the seminary sent out a message from Psalm 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Amen. A pastor at, pardon me if I get some of the names wrong, at Urban Bible Church <clears throat> in the Ukraine was quoted saying this. He said, when this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. Amen. Why would they live like this? Because they know there's a God above it all that is worthy of everything. They say, we'll be obedient 
to death. And the mercy that God has extended to us motivates us to serve him and extend that mercy to others in need. May that be said of us.